mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, passing on generational wealth isn't just for the rich and the elite class. What anyone who's worked hard to save a nest egg needs to know about handing it down to their surviving family members. Also this morning, even devout Christians sometimes wonder if they're good enough or if the sins of their past are beyond forgiveness. For Holy Week, the author of Called, A Long Shot Story puts those fears to rest once and for all. And happening around town, fellowship, reflection, and a celebration of the Easter miracle at St. Mark's United Methodist Church Community Good Friday Breakfast. We'll get details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, April 12, 2022. If you need a reason to celebrate, there's always a reason to celebrate. Today is National Drop Everything and Read Day. All right, then. National Licorice Day. It is Big Wind Day. Also, the International Day for Street Children. National Grilled Cheese Sandwich Day. How about that? And it is National Only Child Day. Celebrate that. Apparently, the number of families with only one child has like doubled over the past decade or something like that, according to the Census Bureau. I think I read it's doubled in the past decade. Um, there's uh, an old uh, Bill Cosby routine. I don't know Bill Cosby is kind of persona non grata these days, but uh, back in back in the old days when we still thought he was a funny guy, he had a, a great routine that he used to talk about people who are parents of only children, are not real parents. If you only have one child, um, <laughs> and I was talking to my my son and daughter-in-law about this, um, <laughs> said, you really need to have uh, uh, another child because uh, parents of only one children are not real parents. If something gets broken, you know who did it. <laughs> if If there's a toy in the cereal box, you know who's going to get it. You know there's not a fight. <laughs> there are so many things about parenting that you don't really get to experience if you only have one child. But still, <laughs> National Only Child Day today. So uh, among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, I saw this story, jumped out at me on the uh, Newswire this morning, and it just left me shaking my head. This is research out of the University of Exeter. Exeter. Is that in uh, Great Britain? I believe it is. Um, Anyway, it says children see eating meat as less morally acceptable than adults do. Let me repeat that statement. This is the conclusion of researchers here. University of Exeter. Children see eating meat as less morally acceptable than adults do. And so naturally, this piqued my interest and I wanted to read further. As it turns out, that's a bit of a leap, uh, at least in my opinion, uh, based on this research. That statement is a bit of a leap. What they found was that humans are not born with the mental processes used to justify eating meat. Okay, again, a bold statement. But specifically, they found the process by which people categorize certain animals as pets and others as food develops somewhere between 11 years of age and adulthood. What they found was that children between the ages of 9 and 11 were less likely to see a moral hierarchy between humans and animals 
and less likely to categorize farm animals as food. Uh, Kids also thought that animals like pigs should be treated better than adults believe that farm animals should be treated. And I looked at that and I I said to myself, well, duh, they're kids. (laughs) They're, They're kids between the ages of nine and 11. Kids between the ages of nine and 11 also think that when mom and dad whip out the credit card that they're getting stuff for free. They don't connect <laughs> you know, the, the bills that come in at the end of the month with uh, swiping the credit card at the checkout because they're kids. Um, but these researchers took this took this data, which is kind of a no brainer if you if you think about it, and they made the leap. That children see eating meat as less morally acceptable than adults do. Hmm. The uh, lead study author, Luke McGuire, says that critically examining our relationship with animals ought to begin in childhood. He also added that his findings don't necessarily indicate that adults don't care about animals, but children show more concern for farm animals. Yes. Because they're children! That's... Because they're children! See, now this is a, I think this is a fine example of researchers having a point of view and then spinning the results of their research to match their preconceived point of view, to get the result that they wanted to get. You know what I mean? Prime example of that. But uh, in any event. Some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. The would-be assassin of former uh, President Reagan will be performing in New York City this summer. (laughs) I kid you not. This is the crazy world we live in today. John Hinckley Jr. is scheduled to play a concert at the Market Hotel in Brooklyn in July. Tickets are on sale now for $20. The uh, now 66-year-old who tried to kill the president in 1981 was released from a mental hospital in 2016 and was granted unconditional release last year. It says he has been focusing on a career in music. And apparently he's got thousands of subscribers uh, on his YouTube channel. John Hinckley Jr. That's All right. (laughs) I don't know what to say to that. I just, I just don't know what to say. That's just, but it's out there. Um... Here's an item. This is good news and definitely one of the first things you need to know this morning. Krispy Kreme wants to help ease the pain that Americans are feeling at the pump by lowering donut prices. How about that? The chain announced in a new deal they will sell a dozen original glazed donuts for the price of a gallon of regular gas. Every Wednesday from April 13th to May 4th, Krispy Kreme will use Monday's average to set the promotional price of a dozen original glazed donuts. AAA put this Monday's average at four eleven per gallon. Uh, by the way, for comparison, a dozen glazed Krispy Kremes usually go for about ten bucks. So, paying more for gas, less for Krispy Kremes. That is good news right there. That's that's a company that's really concerned about the welfare of America. That's <laughs> you get cheap Krispy Kremes. 
Um, by the way, if you are uh, looking for a new job, this is kind of interesting. Have you heard about this? The Antarctic Heritage Trust Charity, which is based out of the UK, is accepting applications for positions at its Port Lockroy base, located in Antarctica, a frigid Antarctic continent. continent. Uh, so what would your job be if you were to accept this position in Antarctica? Well, it would include running the post office there and monitoring penguins. The Port Lockroy base, located on an island in the uh, Palmer Archipelago uh, that is uh, west of the Antarctic Peninsula, is also looking for a base leader, a shop manager, and general assistant who will work at the gift shop and post office. <laughs> from, from No, they have a gift shop? Really? Um, they get a lot of tourism there at, uh, in Antarctica? I don't know. Anyway... Uh, The job runs from November of this year to March of 2023. The post office receives roughly 80,000 pieces of mail every season. And the penguins are being monitored for the British Antarctic Survey with a report due after service is completed. The base, which helps with conservation efforts and offers information to visitors, will be open to the public for the first time since the COVID-19 pandemic began. (laughs) And apparently they're expecting a big influx of tourism. Uh, Workers will be living in conditions that include limited power, no running water, and no internet access. Wait, what? No internet. We found the one part of the world where people cannot listen to this show. (laughs) Because we're on on air and on the internet and everything else. Well, forget it. Never mind. You don't need to go. If you can't listen to this program, forget it. I just do it. Never mind that I forget I said anything. <laughs> but yeah, they're expecting, uh, they have a gift shop and they're expecting tourists. They have no running water, no internet, and uh, they're expecting tourists. I, okay. Uh, maybe somebody's been living there too long and they unrealistic expectations. By the way, speaking of vacations, this was kind of interesting. I saw on the uh, Newswire, one of the most buzzworthy stories of the day. You know how uh, some hotels, you go to hotels these days, some, some are pet-friendly, allow you to bring your four-legged family members. And then there is this. A Kentucky hotel is letting people bring their houseplants on vacation. <laughs> Forget about having somebody come over and water your plants. Just bring your plants with you. Visit LEX. Visit LEX, the uh, Convention and Visitors Bureau of Lexington, Kentucky, has teamed up with the Elwood Hotel and Suites to offer a special set of amenities to guests traveling with their houseplants. <laughs> Is this a large segment of the vacationing population? People taking their houseplants on vacation? Apparently, the world's first pr- uh, plant-friendly hotel experience, they're calling it the world's first plant-friendly hotel experience, kicked off earlier this month, and offers the Gardener's Premier Corner Room package, six king suites specially chosen for their their abundance of plant-friendly natural light. The package also includes greenery provided by a local greenhouse, a complimentary potted succulent, botanical toiletries from Kentucky soaps and such, and a tea for plants served in a pink mug. If your plants have been hankering for a little tea, for a spot of tea, 
Guests will also have the option to purchase plant-centric perks, including a garden mojito cocktail made with blackberry syrup, fresh herbs, and edible flowers. <laughs> finally, at long last, I know I finally found a place where I can take my house plants on vacation. So <laughs> I guess it takes all kinds. There you go, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. Your WTOL 11 weather, mostly sunny today with high 72, partly cloudy tonight with a low 60. The three people arrested in connection with the death of a Bluffton police officer last month have been indicted by a Hancock County grand jury. Court records show that 20-year-old Emmon Johnson has been indicted on 10 felony charges, including aggravated vehicular homicide. Another suspect was indicted on five charges, and the third suspect was indicted on four. All three are expected to be arraigned in Hancock County Common Police Court this week. Authorities say the three were fleeing from police on Interstate 75 on March 31st when the car they were in struck and killed Bluffton police officer Dominic Francis as he was placing stop sticks on the highway. Lieutenant Governor John Houston and other state and local officials toured the Finley Whirlpool operation and talked with company officials about workforce development, supply chain, and other issues. Finley Mayor Christina Murn after touring the facility. I think the, the main takeaway for me is, you know, continuing to support workforce development just because we're good at one point in time, you know, for one organization. It's, it's a process. We have to build that pipeline. We have to help kids in school understand the opportunities. In the meantime, Whirlpool's Ottawa facility will be holding a groundbreaking this week for its $65 million expansion. Get more details on that on the website. Governor DeWine has announced that the state is collecting hundreds of helmets, protective vests, and other surplus police equipment for the civilian defense of Ukraine. The Fund to Aid Ukraine is a nonprofit organization based in Parma in suburban Cleveland, which has a large Ukrainian-American population. DeWine said the fund will coordinate the delivery of Ohio's equipment donations to Ukraine. The governor said that more than two dozen law enforcement agencies have offered approximately 75 ballistic and riot helmets and 840 pieces of body armor, including vests and plates. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. Catholic baseball fans are being asked to make a double sacrifice this Lenten season, with the Cleveland Guardians home opener falling on Good Friday. Cleveland Bishop Edward Molesic sent a letter to the diocese asking Catholics attending the Guardians game to abstain from eating hot dogs and other meat options served at Progressive Field. I'm John Marshall, WFIN News. Well, when we say the words generational wealth, the first thing that probably comes to mind are kids with silver spoons inheriting the family fortune. But it's not just something for the elite and the filthy rich. According to the Ameriprise Money and Family Study, 78% of Americans have taken at least one step to build generational wealth, and two-thirds say passing on that wealth, no matter how large or small, is important to them, but they are not openly discussing this with their heirs, which could lead to misunderstandings and financial missteps down the road. Marcy Keckler is Senior Vice President of Financial Advice Strategy at Ameriprise. So tell us more, Marcy, about some of the key findings from this Ameriprise Money and Family Study. We wanted to understand just what you said, Chris, which is how do people think about this idea of generational wealth? And we learned it is an aspiration that's really common. People are interested in finding a way to take 
all the things they've been able to save and accumulate through their hard work over their lifetime and, and having it be handed down to the next generation. And in fact, 60% of people said they feel a responsibility to hand something down to the next generation. Mm. Although in contrast, about 40% of people said, you know what, I actually think my family members can uh, stand on their own two feet. And so, you know, differing perspectives on how important it is, but people are still aspiring to hand something down. And that is uh, important. As you noted, however, they aren't necessarily doing a great job communicating the details of their plans to their family members, which could lead to some confusion and tension in the future. Now, when we talk about uh, not having these discussions with those who will ultimately inherit our wealth and how that can lead to misunderstandings and financial missteps, the first thing I think about is arguments and hurt feelings over who is getting what. Is that what you're talking about? That is a key thing that can happen, and particularly in situations where somebody may have chosen to leave an inheritance in unequal amounts to different members of their family. Mm. Um, we know for the most part, people do intend to pass things down equally, but there are situations where people say, you know what, fair doesn't necessarily mean equal. They may be taking into account things like different earning potential of their adult children or different career circumstances, different financial circumstances. And so, you know, if you have situations like that, it can be helpful to explain your reasoning so that it's not uh, not a surprise to people. But I also think communicating details about logistics is important. Even uh, basics like where are legal documents located? Where do you find them if you need them? Have you made funeral arrangements in advance? These are the kinds of things that uh, communicating can really ease tensions in addition to maybe potential sources of discord or disagreement. And, you know, those details... Uh, having them communicated and having them laid out in advance can uh, really make a difference in the smoothness of the estate settlement process later. Yeah. Now, on the financial missteps side, what are some strategies for passing financial assets on to the next generation while helping them avoid any potential financial missteps? Well, we learned that one of the most common intentions is to pass down real estate, whether that's your primary home that you're living in now, which 85% of people who were going to hand down real estate said it's my primary home. But you know, other people have about 20% of people said they have a vacation home, a second home, a place at a lake, a place in the mountains, a place at the beach. And those kinds of real estate holdings are especially important to have attention to some details on. We asked people who'd already inherited real estate, how had it gone? Was it smooth? Was it bumpy? People who said it had been bumpy had some lessons and advice. Number one, have a detailed plan in place in advance. Number two, make sure you've involved the right financial professionals, particularly an estate planning attorney, but you may also want to include a tax professional like a CPA or an accountant, as well as a financial advisor who can look at the big picture. And then finally, communicate the details about the property itself, things like who does the maintenance, uh, where are the documents, when was the roof last replaced, all mm. those sorts of details can help make that transition of real estate in particular go more smoothly um, across generations. I am curious, again, because oftentimes we're talking about multiple heirs of an estate, so maybe uh, mom and dad will hand down the family home or the lake cottage to... Uh, the kids, the, you know, uh, multiple potential owners. Are there some particular caveats if you are passing uh, an asset like a piece of real estate down to multiple owners as opposed to one 
uh, inheriting individual? That's a really common situation. And something that uh, one thing I have seen work well is in addition to potentially handing down, for example, as you know, your example of a, you know, like a vacation home or a second home equally to the kids, um, in this case, you know, young adult children. Yeah. Uh, you may also want to consider setting aside dollars that are kind of a maintenance fund for that home. One mm. of the things that can happen in families is that once it is jointly owned, the joint owners have to manage together all of the um, maintenance and expenses on that property. Having financial resources dedicated to doing that is another way that you can make provisions that really can uh, prevent future discord among your adult children. And, And I'd say most families, most parents don't want that kind of relationship among their, among their adult children. Having uh, thought about some of those details can really smooth the process. And then I think also telling your adult children what your intention is. We're passing this down to you. We want you to enjoy it together. We want you to take turns using it. We don't want you to argue about it. Having those kinds of conversations can really help families stay in open communication and and enjoy the legacy that the older generation intends. Yeah, uh, again, it goes back to having that dialogue, and that's kind of the point of emphasis here. And again, just to reiterate, it doesn't have to be uh, a, a huge estate, millions upon millions of dollars, even a small nest egg. Uh, just as we say with planning for retirement, even if you're just starting small, every dollar counts. And here again, too, in passing along that wealth, every dollar counts. You have to uh, approach it the same way. Again, Marcy Keckler, Senior Vice President of Financial Advice Strategy at Ameriprise. Uh, we mentioned the Ameriprise Money and Family Study. Where, where can folks uh, learn more about it and, and some of the uh, advice and guidance that comes out of that? Yeah, we have more findings as well as uh, tips, including how to have conversations across generations at our website, Ameriprise.com slash family. Marcy, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. You know, it is a common belief, perhaps the most common belief among non-Christians, the unchurched, that they are beyond redemption, that the sins of the past are too big to be forgiven. Our next guest knows that is not true, not only because he is a Christian minister, but because he lived that life that many might see as too far gone for redemption. The memoir of the Reverend Dr. Gordon Postel is entitled, Called a Long Shots Story. And Dr. Postel, on the back cover of the book, it is described as a delayed coming of age story, which I found intriguing. How so? Well, first of all, Chris, it's a pleasure to be with you and your listeners. And um, uh, a coming-of-age story in the sense that I think for many years I was uh, lost. Uh, you know, the, the book really uh, is about a decade in my life. Um, you know, although I've had 35 years of fulfilling ministry, 24 years of which as a hospice chaplain, and then cared for my wife, uh, who had early-onset Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. cared for her for six years until she died. Uh, Back in the day, uh, from when I was, say, 21 to 31, you know, here I was on the verge of uh, uh, failing a second straight year at an elite university and uh, just uh, sort of in between Toronto and Montreal, Kingston, Ontario, Canada. And I was riding, uh, you know, ice flows uh, on Lake Ontario, fast-moving chunks of ice. I think really wanted to I really die. I had no sense of meaning, no sense of purpose. I felt ashamed uh, for, you know, my debauched behavior. 
And uh, that really took me um, from the ice flows for several years up to working as a nickel miner in northern Ontario, run-ins with the law, uh, addictions to Valium, LSD, uh, you know, smoking some good dope, Mm. just trying to survive, security guard detail, unemployment until... On and on and on. Yeah, until 1976, I had this incredible, you know, call to ministry. I sort of felt like a huge, while reading the chapter in Revelation, the first chapter, I I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I just was swept to my knees and felt into my consciousness burst, kind of like the imperative, follow me, become a minister, Hmm. which defied belief. But I well, trusted that experience. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's what I was going to say. I mean, what, what what was that catalyst that turned your life around so incredibly dramatically? I mean, you you trace it back to a single moment, an epiphany, if you will. Yeah, it was. I think for me, it was uh, the ultimate spiritual epiphany where I felt love, you know, unconditionally loved, accepted, understood by God, and uh, this uh, this sense of Jesus Christ calling me himself to become a minister. Hmm. And it was uh, totally bizarre. You could never make this stuff up. My friends and family thought I had lost my mind. (laughs) But I trusted that experience. And, you know, um, during the three years at seminary in Toronto, uh, as I gradually became of age, you know, I gradually grew up, so to speak, yeah. Um you can have you can have spiritual epiphanies, you know, they could be a call to ministry, they could be to leave a relationship or to leave a career, but if you don't have people to step in and help you, like really extend their generosity of spirit, uh you're probably not going to have liftoff. Hmm. And and I was blessed to have people come into my life. I had to let go of certain friends and acquaintances because my behavior was changing, but, but I trusted the experience. I trusted the help that was offered to me. And, uh, it was a, it was a tough process. It wasn't like some people talk about being born again and all of a sudden kind of everything's pretty good. Well, that wasn't it for me. That's what I was. It was a gradual process. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, you know, was that, uh, an immediate, uh, transformation or how long did it take you to get past your own feeling of mm, being an imposter, I guess, for lack of a better term and not being yeah, worthy, sure. not, works. yeah, not feeling it's like you quite fit in. Yeah. I would say it probably took at least, uh, you know, two, I'd say a couple of years, hmm. you know, although I started to turn things around and I, I got sober, uh, started to clean up my act I was still pretty vulnerable. Uh, could have gone either way, but I sort of toughed it out. And the bottom line is, I trusted my call. That's that's really what it came down to. Mm-hmm. As bizarre as it seemed, I trusted my call. And I guess for me, my book is all about hope, uh, generosity of spirit, uh, and second chances. <laughs> 
the other feeling that I think uh, among many former non-believers when they begin that journey of faith is that they will be found out, that their prior transgressions will come to light and they'll be uh, ostracized uh, from the church. And uh, again, others will say, well, you're not worthy. Did you have that fear also? And, and what do you say to those who have overcome that past but are in many ways still running from it? Yes, well, I think uh, I was fortunate that, uh, you know, I didn't share my story with a lot of people, but mm-hmm. the people, the primary people that came into my life in that three to four year period uh, knew, um, you know, I didn't have to go into all the details, but they they kind of knew where I was coming from. They accepted me. They trusted me. They helped me. And, you know, I got into therapy. I did a lot of inner work. I've done a lot of inner work over the years because it's an ongoing process. Yeah. And so I would say to people that are still struggling, you know, with their past, um, is I really think that they, they need to seek out some professional help to, you know, help them work through whatever issues that are still unresolved. You know, I would imagine, too, in in writing the book, you uh, go through the process of reconciling the difference between regretting your past and embracing it in the sense that it is that past that has made you who you are now. So, in a sense... Yes, you can regret the choices, but at the same time, had you not made those choices, you probably would not be where you are today. So it's an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, and you know, that's beautifully stated. I think over the years, especially in my 24 plus years of hospice work, uh, although, you know, the people that I was seeing, you know, patients who were dying and their families, you know, I wasn't really sharing much about my past, but I think people sensed, you know, that I felt at ease with their suffering because I had suffered myself. Mm. And so uh, I really believe that everything I went through, uh, the good times, you know, the tough times, the regretful times, all of that made me who I was and ultimately enabled me starting in 2015 to care for my beloved wife, Robin, with really the ultimate ministry, caring for her as yeah. she uh, devolved with, uh, you know, early onset Alzheimer's. Mm. Uh, and again, I think that's something that we can all uh, relate to on some level. Ultimately, it is a story of grace, of faith, of hope, and certainly of trans- uh, transformation. Uh, the book is called, called A Long Shot, uh, Long Shot's Story, uh, the Reverend Dr. Gordon Postel uh, with us this morning. Do you have a website in conjunction with the book we can guide folks to? Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. So my, my website is gordonpostel.com. So it's G-O-R-D-O-N-P-O-S-T-I-L-L.com. And also you can buy the book off the website. You can learn more about me off the website. But you can also buy the book, you know, uh, go right to Amazon. Dr. Postel, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We certainly uh, appreciate it. Best of luck with the book. Thanks a lot, Chris. All the best to you and your listeners. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update to the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. 
some uh, really weird stories, the uh, broken news, uh, some traditional kind of broken news stories, and then some other stuff that we found that uh, just <laughs> odd and unusual. A, a mother in Troy, Michigan, actually called the police to report her 14-year-old son last month they're finding he had a large amount of money that she said said she that she said he shouldn't have, and also she noticed that he was acting strangely. After police arrived at the home and spoke to the teenager, he admitted robbing a liquor store earlier in the day. He was placed under arrest. Thanks, mom. <laughs> An employee at the store told police that a young man came up to the counter and uh, demanded that uh, she emptied the register. He did not show a gun, but kept his hand in the pocket. Of his hooded sweatshirt, employee gave him money and he ran off. <laughs> Mom turned him in. I uh, said she had suddenly had a large amount of money he shouldn't have had. He was acting kind of weird. So. <laughs> a uh, Florida man is facing charges after allegedly exposing himself during a flight last Friday from Newark to Boston. Here's the thing about people from Florida. They don't always have to be in Florida to do dumb things. Officials say Donald Edward Robinson, age 76, is charged with one count of lewd, indecent, and obscene acts while in the special aircraft jurisdiction of the United States. He's in trouble with the feds. A 21-year-old female victim informed flight attendants that Mr. Robinson was uh, exposing himself during the flight and had also touched her thigh. If convicted... He could face up to 90 days in prison and a $5,000 fine. <laughs> 76. You would think he would know better, but apparently not. Uh, let's see. Oh, they say <laughs> they say that everything is bigger in Texas. A uh, Montana-based company actually has broken a Guinness World Record with a giant belt buckle measuring nearly 15 feet across. And this was, uh, they unveiled this in Texas. Montana Silversmiths had the belt buckle shipped to its Dallas showroom in four parts where it was assembled to break the record. Uh, Guinness confirmed the massive belt buckle, which is a replica of one of the company's most popular buckles, measured 10 feet, 6 inches tall, and 14 and a half uh, feet wide, which is enough to claim the record. The uh, Bighorn Trophy buckle Features the silhouette of a cowboy with golden flowers, silver stars, and the company's signature uh, silver uh, logo, I guess. <laughs> I saw that story, and um, I actually was surprised that uh, Texas didn't already have the biggest belt buckle in the world. I mean, honestly, didn't you didn't you think that was <laughs> that was already there? I mean, that's... um. Here's another case of a delivery driver. Have you ever wondered what would happen if your food delivery driver uh, was arrested on his way to delivering your your food? Um, In Wisconsin, apparently the police will uh, take care of that for you if uh, such a uh, situation pops up. Fox Valley Metro Police in Appleton, Wisconsin, followed through on completing a delivery order for a family and even posed for a picture with them. Which they later shared in a Facebook post. Uh, apparently, uh, let's see here. It says, unfortunately, we had to take an online food delivery service driver into custody today. The police said that means someone came dangerously close to not getting their ice cream delivery. <laughs> not wanting it to melt. 
Uh, Officer Pinenberg and our afternoon shift officers made sure that everyone got their treats before they melted. (laughs) Wonder if they did lights and sirens and the whole thing just because, you know, the ice cream can melt. So (laughs) get it over there in a hurry. I think we had a story, another story like that, not all that long long ago. Cop shows up at somebody's door. You don't think that that's going to be a good thing, but then handed over the delivery order. Because the driver had been placed under arrest. Uh, Let's see here. And a couple of other items. Uh, One mom-to-be from Pennsylvania is convinced that her soon-to-be-born daughter is going to be a handful. And she says she has evidence. Ang Slater says her uh, daughter has been caught (laughs) flipping the bird twice in her sonogram photos. (laughs) Uh, Ms. Slater says she was 25 weeks pregnant on March 11th when her daughter was first spotted making the gesture. And then she's had a a baby, another baby scan since, which also shown, uh, showed the unborn baby with the (laughs) middle finger raised. (laughs) Ms. Slater said, oh, she's going to be trouble. Uh, she says, uh, her baby is going to be just like her (laughs) free willed and straight to the point. (laughs) Like mother, like daughter. (laughs) that's awesome and finally in the broken news this morning an oklahoma woman is facing assault charges for for beating up a fast food worker because her order was taking too long stacy minahan of tulsa is accused of punching a sonic car hop uh because the order was taking longer than she thought it should. A witness saw the whole thing happen Saturday night, tried to chase down the woman. That's when Ms. Minahan allegedly shot the witness with a pepper spray gun. Gun that fires balls filled with pepper spray. When police finally caught up uh, with Ms. Minahan, they found nearly 30 grams of methamphetamine, another drug paraphernalia in her car. So there was that. Yes, now we know why she was in such a rush. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile app for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM, online at WFIN.com, and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. And now, your daily download, the numbers behind the news, and the statistics that shape our lives. If you have been experiencing some senior moments uh, of late, particularly since the start of the pandemic, you are not the you are not the only one. You are not alone. Neuroscientist Dr. Sarah Mednick explains to the Wall Street Journal that our brains are kind of like computers. And you know when you have too many tabs open, too many things uh, on your desktop uh, that are open and running all at one time on your computer, it kind of slows it down, bogs things down? Well, that's what happens with our brains. We have so many tabs open 
with uh, the pandemic and then transitioning back to normal after the pandemic and world events, what's going on in Ukraine and concerns about inflation in the economy. We have all of these things that it uh, that we're trying to process, that it slows down our processing power in our brains and memory is one of the areas that falters. Uh, they say stress plays a big role, and with respect to that, we are not the only ones. A uh, new study finds that children are just as stressed out as we are. According to a new survey, 68% of parents say that since the pandemic began, our kids have faced significant mental and emotional challenges. Again, first adjusting to remote learning and then going back to in-person school, uh, maybe grieving the loss of loved ones uh, through the uh, course of the pandemic. All of these things add stress. Half of those in the poll believe that missing milestones in life, like birthday parties that had to be canceled or graduation ceremonies that never happened, have negatively impacted their child's mental health. So they, too... Uh, have these stressors, and stress uh, can damage the brain, which can result in memory issues. So if your kids have seemed a little forgetful, they may be mentally, their mental processing power uh, may be overloaded as well for the same reason. So senior moments, not just for uh, seniors, uh, to be sure. Now, this is kind of interesting, too, in a related um, research study, the University of Victoria, they find that your personality might have an impact on your brain and how it processes things um, now and in the future. What they found was that people who are organized with high levels of self-discipline may be less likely to develop cognitive impairments as we get older. On the other hand, people who are moody or emotionally unstable are more likely to experience cognitive decline later in life. It's just uh, the way we train our brains to behave. So something to keep in mind uh, with respect to processing everything that we have going on in our lives. If we are organized, if we are highly self-disciplined, that is going to help us maintain our cognitive powers uh, throughout our lives teach our kids to do the same thing as opposed to being uh, more emotional and uh, uh, moody and uh, disorganized and that kind of thing can actually cause a problem. So take that for what you will. But again, to circle back to where we started, if you are having more of those senior moments these days, you are certainly not alone. So it is Holy Week, and uh, coming up on Friday, uh, it is a uh, day of uh, fellowship, reflection, and uh, celebration of the Easter miracle at uh, St. Mark's United Methodist Church. Their Community Good Friday Breakfast is coming up, and Pastor Dan Metzger, along with Bruce Von Beck from uh, St. Mark's with us uh, this morning. Thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We yeah, appreciate it. Um, so uh, this is always this is kind of a, a, a unique uh, day. Uh, obviously, Good Friday is a, uh, a very somber day, a day of mourning of uh, Christ's death on the cross. But at the same time, uh, celebration in the sense that we look forward to the resurrection and the joy of uh, Easter Sunday. So it's kind of an interesting, right. you know, 
dichotomy there. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that's why we call it Good Friday, because yeah. we know the rest of the story. We get the spoiler alert, yeah. right? That, <laughs> exactly. uh, that, you know, uh, Christ doesn't stay in the grave, that he rises from the dead. And so uh, it's something that this whole week becomes a celebration. Uh, mm-hmm. But you're right. There are moments of somber remembrance. And uh, so it's a, this is a great way um, with uh, some of the stuff that we have coming up this week for us to be able to kind of look at all those aspects of Holy Week. And the community uh, Good Friday breakfast is kind of uh, encapsulates all of that because, as, as we mentioned, it's a day of fellowship uh, and all of that. But also, again, uh, you're going to be uh, talking about the Easter miracle and the story. And- right. So at, um, you know, the day before is Monday, Thursday, and so that's the day when we remember the Last Supper, and at the Last Supper, one of the things that Jesus asked his disciples to do was to um, love one another. And so that's part of what we're going to be doing at the Community Good Friday Breakfast that we're going to have um, is loving others, uh, and we're going to be doing that in a lot of different ways. One of the ways is through um, being able to give all of the donations from this to uh, the mission that's happening in Ukraine through World Vision. That's awesome. And uh, so tickets are $10. Doors open at 730 uh, in the morning on Good Friday, and then we'll serve breakfast at 8 a.m. And yeah, all the ticket sales and any donations are going to go towards the relief efforts in Ukraine. Bruce, this is a long-running event. Uh, it really is a, has a, quite the history. It, it does. It started in the 1960s with the Y Men's Group, mm-hmm. and then it went on. And then in the 1990s, you know, the YMCA went through a huge renovation, and they got rid of the kitchen. And so it moved, was moved to St. Mark's at the time because several of the guys were active in both groups. Mm-hmm. And then in 20, it kind of fell by the wayside, but in 2018, we brought it back with the Band of Brothers. And uh, of course, uh, the pandemic happened. Yeah. Then. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it was on hiatus throw, again. Throws a monkey yeah. wrench in the whole yeah. thing. But so we're uh, hoping to bring it back and get it going again. And uh, obviously, uh, because everybody is aware of what's going on in Ukraine, that will yeah. be a big draw there and, yeah. and a great way of uh, helping uh, those over there. Yeah. So. Uh, so, uh, a couple of uh, things that you uh, have going on at the uh, Good Friday Breakfast. Have a, a guest speaker, a, a special remembrance. Uh, yeah, so one of the things we're going to be doing, um, the Y Men's Group had a, a guy who participated in it named Richard Walgamuth. And if you grew up going to church in this area, you probably had the Ambassadors come or the Messiah Quartet come. Or if you walk by the Gospel Pavilion at the fair, mm-hmm. you heard Richard Walgamuth singing in those groups. He yeah. was the high tenor and uh, just passed away uh, recently. I, I had the honor and privilege of being able to do his service there. And so we're going to remember him uh, with a lot of great music. Um Allsbrook Smith Jr. is going to be playing some piano for us. Uh, Steve Huffman's going to be doing some singing, uh, who's in the Ambassadors with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we'll have some uh, uh, remembrance of, uh, of Dick through doing uh, some great music. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we have a guest speaker. Her name is Lana Mosser. Lana is from Ukraine. Um, mm. and uh, from Sumi, Ukraine, originally, and uh, for the last several years has lived here in the United States, uh, where, where she's made her home here in Finley, and, uh, but still has some family and friends in Ukraine. And uh, throughout um, this tragedy that's been happening in Ukraine, she's been helping our church and our community. Uh, there was a great story uh, with her in The Courier a while back, but she's been helping us um, to kind of put a personal face mm-hmm. to the tragedy. And uh, so we've been able to raise some money uh, through all of this. Um, uh, our church has raised more than $4,000 so far to send through World Vision Ukraine. Uh, but then we've, all, we've also been able to help her uh, 
sister and some of her, the rest of her family worked at an orphanage in Sumi, and mm-hmm. we were able to help through her testimony and her sharing um, get uh, a group of about 70 orphans uh, out of Ukraine and mm-hmm. across into Poland, and uh, eventually they made their way to Italy. And wow. So just some folks here in Finley, because the story was told, were able to really make a difference in the lives of some children. Yeah, that's, that is so cool when you know that you have made yeah. a difference. Uh, and, and, and one of the things, you talk about putting all of this into uh, perspective and putting a human face onto this, this is not necessarily, while this conflict in, in Ukraine has been going on for several weeks now, the Ukraine... Uh, Russia relations have been anything but peaceful for many, many years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this has been something that's been, you know, going on for a long time. And the Donbass region and all of that. All of this. But, you know, until, you know, probably until recently, it's been hard for some some of us to even find Ukraine on a map. Right. Uh, But now we're, you know, this is something that's in the forefront. And while we might not always understand all the politics of everything going on, one thing that's very easy to understand is there's kids who need help. Mm -hmm. Uh, The United Nations estimates that right now there's been more than 4 million uh, refugees that have come across, 2 million of which are children. Uh, Child's becoming a refugee in this crisis once every second. Mm -hmm. And so when there's kids that need help, we want to help. Uh, so that's what this money's going towards. It. And, and one of the great things with World Vision, and Bruce and I have talked about this, is that not only do they help with you know, the physical needs, the food, the education, the, the, the clothing, the medicine, uh, but they're really also focused on the emotional uh, uh, needs of a kid going through a really terrible crisis. Right, yeah. Total person. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the uh, Good Friday breakfast is obviously Friday. And uh, right. as you mentioned, the uh, doors open at 7.30, right? Doors open at 7.30. Tickets are available at the door, okay. or you can call the church office, and we'll take your name, and the tickets will be there for you when you come. Okay. Church office number is 419-422-4236. And I know that we have to thank. You couldn't do this on Correct. your own. We have sponsors. Well, so. not sponsors. <laughs> but we want to thank We Serve Coffee for catering the food. Mm-hmm. Awesome food. And we want to thank Chuck Clapper and Sinks Flowers for providing the table arrangements. So, uh, again, Friday at uh, St. Mark's at the dock, yep. right? Yep, it'll be at the dock. It's the building kind of in the back. Find your way around all the construction just, and come on in. Just follow everybody else. <laughs> there yeah. you go. And, yeah. uh, follow the, the smells of the pancakes and everything. Yep, yeah. there you go. <laughs> uh, again, the uh, pr- uh, Pastor uh, Don Metzger, uh, Dan Metzger, excuse me, and uh, Bruce Von Beck, the uh, St. Mark's United Methodist Church Community Good Friday Breakfast coming up this week. Gentlemen, thanks for, uh, thank you both for dropping by. Hey, thanks so much. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, thatisgoodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, when it comes to investing, what you don't know can hurt you. But what if you could learn as you go, building wealth and understanding at the same time? So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.